You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Support for this podcast comes from Botter. Hi, I'm Julie Larson Frischer, Science and Technology Editor for Meeting Place Magazine. Welcome to Episode 9 of Meeting Pod, where we're talking with Dr. Mindy Brashears, who's settling into her new role as the Roth and Lech Family Endowed Chair in Food Safety at Texas Tech University, following a successful tenure as the nation's top food safety official at USDA in Washington, D.C. As Undersecretary for Food Safety, Mindy brought a passion for data-driven science to the role, leading a number of food safety policy and regulatory initiatives involving the modernization of FSIS inspection systems for beef, pork, and poultry processing operations, foreign imports, performance standards, and next-generation pathogen control and interventions. Before being tapped for the USDA role, Mindy was Professor of Food Safety and Public Health and Director of the International Center for Food Industry Excellence at Texas Tech, where she established her career as an international leader in pre- and post-harvest operations, foodborne pathogen intervention and control, and global efforts to improve food safety and ensure food security in underserved areas. In 2019, Mindy told Meeting Place in an interview that when she was nominated to serve as USDA's Undersecretary for Food Safety the previous year, she heeded her own best advice, say yes to new adventures. Welcome to Meeting Pod, Mindy. I'm really happy to have this opportunity to catch up with you today as you embark on your next new adventure. Well, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And actually, it's really great to come back in a in my new role, and it's really good to see things come full circle. Well, great. Let's start our convo today with a little question about your most recent adventure. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience serving as Undersecretary for Food Safety, and what are some of your most meaningful accomplishments and maybe some insights you gained during your time at USDA? Yes, for sure. I absolutely loved serving as Undersecretary. It was the greatest and hardest job that I've ever had. And it was so wonderful to get to see things, you know, from a different perspective. From the outside looking in as a scientist, I always had questions. Well, why don't they just do this? Or why don't they do that? Well, once you're in there and you're sitting in the chair and the weight is very heavy of the decisions you have to make and you have the responsibility not only on the scientific side, but to see things from a different viewpoint, how you're utilizing taxpayer money, how it impacts your inspectors, you know, the plant, the industry, all of those things have to be taken into account. So it really broadened my viewpoint on, you know, how things need to be pulled together, not just from one perspective, in order to actually make an impact and a difference in food safety. You ask about some of my accomplishments as well, and I'm very happy and, and proud of modernized inspection, both on egg and, and swine side. You said, you mentioned that in the introduction. We also made significant progress with performance standards as well. A couple of things that weren't talked about very much was I developed a mentorship and a fellowship program for graduate students, and we funded 
for graduate students to meet research needs. So to me, that's kind of a personal thing that we were able to accomplish. And then internally in the agency, we developed a mentorship program for the female workers and really tried to meet their needs so we can improve retention and recruiting of that particular population. Wow. Well, you know, I actually didn't know that. That is little known. This next question I want to ask you has to do with early last year. Uh, We spoke about your 2020 vision, focus on the future action plan, which had three main elements, lead with science, build relationships, and influence change in behavior. And right after that, you know, COVID hit the states and we know it hit really hard in the meat and poultry, you know, processing plants. So, I'm wondering, I might be making a leap here, but do you think that the type of science-based, data-driven food safety culture that you were championing through that document also aligned with ways to meet the challenges and new realities the industry has faced during coronavirus pandemic? Yes, absolutely. I saw it firsthand. In the media, even now, people are criticizing the action and what has happened in the meat and poultry plants. What people forget to do is put text on a timeline. And whenever a plant started closing, this was early April. So we were operating in where there was very little data. But in those processing plants, they started generating data and seeing how the pathogen was spread, whether it be in the cafeteria, the locker room, you know, in carpools and all of those things. Before even the CDC teams started going out to the plants, the facility started using face masks, face shields, putting up barriers in between their employees just intuitively after they saw, you know, what was happening. Get engagement with our public health agencies. You know, they added to that. But this industry moved very quickly. Now, there are still a few plants that we'll see that will close and they'll say they had an outbreak of three employees sick or something. Well, relative to where we were in April, you know, where we had dozens, if not over 100 employees sick, they have come a long way and they really utilize the information and the data they were gathering to make those changes. That's great. Do you think that in your food safety vision, do you think you accomplished those three components? Yes, I really do. It's kind of funny. You look at it and, you know, I had I'd been at the agency a year. I was like, I have this all figured out. And then I did not have a global pandemic in the equation, but we were able to utilize all of those things to make decisions. Leading with science, there's a lot of different forms of science and we used a lot of data to be able to figure out where our inspectors are, how to keep everything staffed building relationships. We had to have those strong relationships, not only with the industry, but with the CDC, with the FDA, with OSHA, all of those groups in order to speak quickly. I mean, I was on the phone multiple times a day with those different government partners so we could make really quick and uh, informed decisions and not operate in a vacuum. We made sure we were consulting with each other every day. And then the behavior change, absolutely. Uh, We saw behavior changes in our employees and also in the industry as a result of everything that was going on at the government level. And it's so good to be able to 
actually talk about this a little more freely. You know, we I couldn't talk about all the really good things that were going on. So I'm very happy to be able to share this now. Oh, I'm glad. Well, you know, and now more recently, you and I had the opportunity to talk about the research related to increased poultry line speeds under yes. the National Poultry Inspection System. So we talked about Dr. Lewis Cox's independent study findings that showed faster line speeds don't predict increased salmonella contamination risk. And as you know, in January, the proposed rule that would have allowed poultry plants to increase line speeds from 140 birds per minute to 170 five birds per minute, fell under the new administration's regulatory freeze memo. So that rule has been withdrawn, at least temporarily. So I have a couple of questions about this. First, from a scientific point of view, do you think the data and scientific evidence gathering over 25 years are sufficient enough for the rule to move forward following a new review? Uh, yes, absolutely. As you said, there have been uh, many years, over 20 years of data where that have been collected on worker safety. As you know, FSIS is not a worker safety agency, but we relied on OSHA and we talked to them extensively about the data that they had collected. They provided us with the data and it was very strong. And then we have our industry data. They have been collecting the data for many years. They've always collected that. And actually, the data shows that worker injury has declined substantially over the, the past 20 years. So we really don't have any uh, concerns about that. We have very strong data to support that observation. And you expect that with Tom Vilsack coming back in as secretary, that he might finish the work he started? Yes, I hope so. Yes. As you mentioned, this was actually started back under Secretary Vilsack with poultry modernization. It was originally proposed with the increased line speed. So I think it's a very positive thing with him coming back and now having all the data. Of course, some of the media reports you saw, you know, it said, you know, it was withdrawn because they weren't supportive of it. But the reality is everything had to be pulled back and reconsidered, which is pretty typical when a new administration comes in. And, and I think that that's, that's a good thing. I mean, let another set of eyes look at it and let's move forward with the strong science that we have. Our conversation today continues in just a moment after a word from our sponsor, Botter. Running at 70 birds per minute, the new Botter Breasty Boner 661 is specifically designed for the U.S. market to be a direct replacement for the industry standard dual manual deboning lines. The machine saves skilled labor by automating complex cutting and scoring processes while keeping you directly in control of the quality and yield through manual harvesting of the fillets and tenders. Realize the intelligent combination of man and machine. Contact your Botter representative to schedule a demonstration at poultry-us at botter.com. And now, back to this week's Meeting Pod interview. Well, can you expound a little bit about what kind of scientific research or data would maybe need to be conducted or collected to fully address the concerns that are on the table? Because... I hear a lot. It seems like there's two lines of concern with regard to line speeds or increased line speeds, worker safety and worker health. Some reports talk about the waivers are 10 times more likely to, you know, transmit coronavirus. And 
And other people are saying, well, yeah, but, you know, as far as worker safety goes, that you have fewer people at that primary processing step than you do at the secondary. So, right. Uh, this is such a wonderful point to be able to make. First of all, line speeds really have nothing to do with the operation of the facility at all. Line speeds are really the speed at which an inspector can inspect the birds. So it's really a regulatory issue. Somehow it, the message was hijacked and spun into worker safety and all of these things. But it has always been an FSIS issue. It is only on the line, on the slaughter line, as the birds go by. Nothing, as you mentioned, in second processing where you do have more workers. If a facility is operating at 175 birds per minute, it is highly automated. And if you have ever been in those facilities, there are very few workers out in the slaughter plant because evisceration is automated, the feathering, all of that. You're going to see a handful of workers there, you know, looking at the carcass, sorting off anything that might be with defects, but you don't have very many workers at all. And they were absolutely spread out during COVID. I went to multiple poultry plants and on the kill floor, the harvest area, those workers not only had barriers between them, but they were spread out. It's a little bit funny because you mentioned two things. First of all, worker safety. And the message from some of the groups that was coming out was they're having to work so much harder because it's an increased line speed and they have no more help because they haven't hired more workers. But then when COVID hit, the message switched. They said they've had to hire too many workers and now they're crowded and they have more COVID. So those things get so frustrating. Now, there was a report, and I think it was Washington Post, maybe. I don't want to, you know, get that wrong. So that may be incorrect. But it said the number of workers with waivers in the worker illness in plants with waivers was higher than those that didn't have waivers. Well, if only as a scientist, we can make claims like that. Correlation does not mean causation. You know, it's kind of like saying, well, the plants in uh, Florida, the workers have more sunburn because the line speeds are higher in Florida. <laughs> but, they, you know, it's like it's actually for another reason. <laughs> there wasn't any scientific foundation put into that comment. It was so irresponsible. Whenever this happened, we do have a lot of poultry plants in the Delmarva area, and it got hit quickly. So yeah, our COVID numbers were high there in those facilities. But at the time, if you think about our plants like in Arkansas, COVID had not spread to the middle of the country. So, you know, it wasn't a fair comparison. And it was a snapshot at one point in time. You can always find data to tell your story. That doesn't mean the data have been used responsibly. And it's very frustrating when you see that when it's 100% you know, inaccurate because all of the confounding variables that could have caused those numbers to be high. So it's uh, quite interesting, the insight and the way I have been able to see how uh, some people operate. And it's just, it's very frustrating at times. And that's why we appreciate the opportunity to tell the real story with wonderful 
people like you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Mindy. I wasn't planning on asking you, but now the hog swine inspection system has come up as well in its sort of a parallel universe here. Are there the same kind of concerns about, I mean, that also has a lot of science behind it. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, same concerns. What people don't realize in both the poultry and the swine the facilities have been operating this way for 20 years. There's been no concerns, no worker safety. None of those things have come up at all. The swine industry actually went together, submitted their data on worker safety on some of these lawsuits. There are no increased injuries. Everything is as it would be expected to be. Obviously, the environments, they do have injuries just like anything else, but it doesn't increase that or our expectation of someone getting injured in those facilities. Well, you know, now that you're back at Texas Tech, what's exciting you about your new position as the Roth and Lech Family Endowed Chair in Food Safety? And what's in the pipeline in terms of research focus and projects? I'm very excited to be able to get back into the role of a scientist. I have seen more problems that need solving from my viewpoint in the government. So... Uh, One of the big things that I really want to focus on is looking at new and innovative technologies to reduce pathogens in the, the food supply chain. I have seen that everyone kind of uses much of the same thing. We need new and innovative solutions. Not that what we have aren't good enough, but I think we can take it to the next level as far as reducing pathogens. Another area is uh, studying methodologies. I have really talked a lot about needing semi-quantitative methodologies so we can quantify the salmonella, not just see if it's there or not. And then I'm ready to pick up my work again in pre-harvest food safety. I think that's really important, and I look forward to doing some work in that area as well. That is fantastic. And, you know, I, I really want to thank you, Mindy, for taking the time to chat with us today on Meeting Pod. And listeners, our thought leader interview with Mindy is definitely worth a read or a reread. To find it online, visit our website at meetingplace.com and search the magazine archives for the September 2019 issue, which features Mindy on the cover. Thanks again, Mindy, and best of luck on your latest adventure. I'm sure we'll meet up again soon. Yes, thank you so much, Julie. It's been a pleasure. And thanks also to Botter for sponsoring today's podcast. Thanks for spending time with Meeting Pod today. Remember to tune in on Mondays and get the inside track on the people and processes that power the protein supply. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Meeting Place and Altmate magazines on social media or visit our websites at meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net. <laughs>